0: Now let's turn to our Bibles. We're going to continue with the uh, text that we started with last week. This text will take us a while to go through it and uh, to exegete this passage carefully. I do it with joy, and I do it so that you as a church can get strengthened with the Word of the Lord. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, we're dealing with the subject of elders, elders in the church. Please stand with me as we read this passage First Peter five, one to five. Therefore I urge elders among you, as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Father, thank you for your wonderful word and how you reminded us once again of how nothing can be accomplished without your grace. In our own strength, who can follow your word? Who can put into practice your will? No one. The Christian life is impossible apart from your grace. And so we ask that you would freely give from your storehouse much grace. Grace so that we could honor you. Grace for the dads so that we can indeed be the fathers we are called to be. To raise our children in the ways of the Lord. To love our spouses as Christ loved the church. Raise men in our midst, O Lord. That are fearless, that love you and and are not intimidated by the culture in which they live. Men who will put your will into practice at all cost and pay whatever prices are necessary to obey you. Thank you for the dads that are here and for those that will be following on the different platforms. Each one we commend to you, and I pray, O oh Lord, as we deal with this subject on eldership, that you would give us grace and understanding. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It's really a joy to um, share God's word with you. And I've been meditating on this passage for the entire week, of course. And last week as well, and I'll be doing this for the next little while. The, The passage, as I said earlier, deals with elders, And elders is synonymous with pastors. So as I mentioned last week, elders are ultimately accountable to God, to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. But while here in the church, the elders are accountable to the church. And secondly, we saw that elders are not above God's people. They are among God's people. And lastly, we saw last week that elders do not have authority except in the area of doctrine and when I mean doctrine I mean teaching, shepherding, discipling, equipping doctrine. Discipline and that means dealing with sin correctly, not um, being flippant with sin nor being um, overbearing with sin. We can be too judgmental and we need to guard ourselves. That's why we have a body. And so, in the area of discipline, and lastly, in the area of direction. That's the area, basically, where the elders have authority. The other areas, elders have an opinion, and their opinions matter, of course. Like, everybody's opinion matters, but when it comes to authority, that's the area. So, if you look at the three A's, they're accountable to God's people, they are among God's people, and, and lastly, their authority is in these three areas, three D's, doctrine, discipline, and direction. The work of the elder is to shepherd God's flock so that believers, that's you, the Church of Christ, are equipped for good works and become mature believers so that you are no longer dependent on someone else. There are some pastors that want the church completely dependent on them. If this church stops after I leave one way or another... I have not done my job, and as elders, we have not done our job. Right? The church continues in spite of me. That's the thing. Elders are behind the scene making sure that the church grows to become mature and strong in the ways of the Lord. The elders that fear God do not draw attention to themselves. Elders never, a pastor should never draw attention to himself, ever. Ever. Elders do not seek attention. Elders want Christ glorified, the church built. The church is to shine, and the elders are behind the scenes. Who are the elders that are called of God to shepherd the flock? That's the key part that we're going to be looking at today. Who are they? And what I'll be saying today will be disturbing to some. Hopefully, those of you who are disturbed by what I say will write an email share your concerns. If I'm off, I'm, like I said, you, are, um, you have the right to judge what I say according to Scripture. I'm basing myself on Scripture, but it doesn't mean I'm 100% correct. This is where we stand as a church, what I'm sharing with you today on the topic of elders. It's an important question. Who are the elders that God has called the shepherd, the flock? For 2,000 years and more, the elders dedicated to the task of shepherding God's flock have been male. Uh, maybe some were shocked by that, but I'll say it again. For 2,000 years, they've been male. But an attack against the male headship has been relentless against the church, and slowly men have taken a back seat, and more and more women have taken the reins, both in church, and in the home. What is wrong is not that the women are taking the reins. It's because men are absent. I'll say it again. Men are absent. Why do men give up the uh, God-given roles that they've been given by God? It's a mystery. It really is. God's Word speaks clearly on the issue of male headship. Men are called to lead, and women are called to support male headship. Why? Because God's Word says so. That's why. We're going to see that. Men and women are equal, some will say. Many will say that. Men Men and women are equal. And it is true, they are equal, but they're not the same. And God gave us inherited differences. I am different from my wife, thank God. Thank God we are different. That's why we complement each other. And that's the way God designed it. We're equal, but not the same. The moment we begin to think that Scripture is insufficient in this area, because the idea of men and women being equal is now so embedded in our thinking that we feel that there are no differences and there should be no differences. I read of one person who um, said what I just said. And so the person, uh, and he was saying also that men should treat women with chivalry, with respect. Men are no longer treating women with respect. They treat them as they're their peers, and which is wrong the way they treat women. And so this man who believes in women being equal to men rolled back, why should I treat them any different? That's where feminism has brought men today. In thinking that they can treat women without respect. The same respect I give you, my brother, the other man, I'll treat her. Why should I open the door for her? Why should I protect her? Get it? It backfired. The whole thing backfired. Scriptures are correct. They've always been. And when we feel that the Word of God is outdated or what was believed by the church for 2,000 years is antiquated and no longer valid and that we know better, we are entering dangerous waters. Just look around us. The world is the Western world in particular. Progressive Christians have adopted this mindset that there can be woman elders because men and women are equal. They challenge male headship. They dismiss it, in fact. They make fun of it. You see, when you tamper with part of God's word, then you're free to tamper with anything else. If God's word clearly states male headship and we say, no, that's not for us, then what's to say that I cannot say that about everything else? I can say that about the gospel. I can say that about the Holy Spirit. I bought the Trinity. Oh, that's not it. That's not it. And then I just change everything. Scriptures reveal revealed to us that male headship is what God desires for his people. Now, there was a time I had my doubts when it came to male eldership. I was not 100% sure. My wife knows about this. I didn't feel that eldership was exclusively male. Let me share with you some of my doubts, why I reasoned that way, and how I finally came to understand the concept that is revealed in God's word with regards to male headship. The reason I wasn't convinced that eldership was only for males is because I read in Scripture passages where women were recognized as leaders. Look at Romans 16. The final words of Paul, he mentions around 10 women. Now in those days, if you were to mention women in any of your writings or in a speech, you were dismissed. Because women were not taken into account. They were basically there to raise a family, have children, take care of the home, stay quiet. Stay there. They weren't even allowed to go to school. When Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, that was counter-culture at the time. Because women were not taught. Teachers chose men, never women, to teach. Never. Never. But Jesus allowed Mary to sit at his feet. She was being taught. That's why Martha was also upset. Not only because she was alone, but primarily because she was drawing attention to herself. So when Paul mentions these ten women in in Scripture, that showed me how much Paul elevated women to another uh, level. And it showed me how women were esteemed in the church. They were respected, highly respected. And they were. They were highly used in the church. If you were to go to the temple, you saw no woman serving. If they did serve, they served behind the scenes, and they just took care of whatever the priests and the Levites needed, but no one was to see them out of sight. But not in the church. In the church, women were visible. So I noticed that. That's the first thing I noticed. And then if you look at Acts Chapter, I'm just going through briefly through this, by the way. If you, um, I think it's online. My study on He Created a Male and Female in the summer of 2019, I mentioned this and I elaborate a little more on it. If you look at Acts chapter 18, you will find from verse 24 to verse 28 a story of um, Priscilla and his wife, his wife, her husband, rather, Aquila. And Priscilla was the main teacher who took a scholar by the name of Apollos, a Jewish scholar who knew Scripture. He was mighty in Scripture, but he didn't know the Gospel yet. And Priscilla was used of God to instruct Apollos. Now, you don't ever see that anywhere else. And uh, that's unique. That's how the church was really different from any other institution at that time. Then in 1 Corinthians 11... You saw, you read, for example, that women prophesied, and they prophesied in the church. They didn't prophesy privately. Prophecy is for the church. They prayed in the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, we see Paul saying that everyone has received the Spirit of God, and therefore everyone, including women, received gifts, spiritual gifts, as a male. So these thoughts, I took them into consideration, along with the Old Testament passages where we see Huldah, a contemporary of Jeremiah. And there's King Josiah sending his men not to Jeremiah, the prophet, but to Halda, the prophetess, who lived in Jerusalem to inquire about what would happen to Jerusalem and to Judah. Or you read about Deborah in the book of Judges. A judge in the days when there were judges, there was no king in Israel, and this was before the days of kings. And so all these passages, both the Old Testament and the New Testament caused me to consider this topic carefully and to see how possibly there could be and should be in the church also male, a female rather, eldership. So when I considered all these various passages, I was asked myself why then throughout the 2,000 years of church history we do not see female elders. Now, el- the, females, uh, the females were serving as deaconesses, and they were mightily used of God. They worked together with the elders. But in the church, it was elders. I said, I said to myself, could it be that the church was chauvinistic, misogynistic? Well, that can't be, because that would have been a serious sin. One, and two, the church elevated the role of the woman within the church. That's what Christ did. That's what the apostles did. That's how the church functioned. It elevated the role of the woman. And we'll see that in a moment how uh, much this impacted a wrong decision in the uh, Church of Corinth. So I was open to both. I was open to the eldership being male alone, and I was open to the eldership being both male and female. I just wanted to know from Scripture and I wanted to know from history what was the right answer. I was studying it. It was an honest question, and God spoke to me through his word. And this is what, basically, I discovered in my research. So what I'm sharing with you is really research that I've done over the years, and I'm just concentrating it. I'm giving you what I've studied. You can study on your own. I encourage you to study this on your own. First, the Genesis account confirms male headship. That's the first thing. So that's where we start. We start in Genesis. By the way, the book that's attacked more than any other book in the Bible, the one book, is the book of Genesis. And I'll show you why. In Genesis 2, we have the account of the first man being created from the dust of the earth. And later on in the same chapter, we have the formation of the woman which God fashioned by using the rib of the first man. So let's read the text. Genesis 2, 21 to 23. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and then he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord fashioned, or Lord God rather, fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So what we notice here are three unmistakable points. First, God created man from the dust of the earth, whereas the woman was fashioned from the man's rib. Totally different procedures. With man, he chooses a lump of clay, and he fashions the man. But with the woman, he does not do that. He draws the woman from the man. That's the first thing. Secondly, God did not create Adam and Eve at the same time. He could have done that. He could have shaped them and fashioned them both together. He doesn't. He shapes man, he fashions man, gives him responsibilities... And later, he fashions a woman. That's the second thing. Third, when they're brought together, it's Adam that speaks and not the woman. Doesn't I mean she never spoke. I'm sure she did, because statistically, women speak more than men. Though my wife says right now, I speak more. It could be, I'm getting older and I speak more. But statistically, that's what it is, right? She did speak, but at that moment, it was Adam that spoke. Adam said, at last, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What you see here is Adam giving a pronouncement. He blesses this new creature and blesses the relationship. Adam takes the leadership role immediately. So not only God gives him the leadership role by creating him first, but then in the relationship, He speaks. He has leadership role. And Eve takes the supportive role. You cannot get around the Genesis account. It's impossible. And it's before the fall. So many people, I've heard many people, well, you know, that happened because of the fall, because of the fall. No, it didn't. It happened before the fall. All before the fall, what I just told you. And if you want to know which book of the Bible gets hammered, as I said earlier, it's Genesis because... In Genesis, we see the creation account, and it gets hammered. How many of you, by the way, the second book that gets hammered is Jonah. How many of you uh, heard about the man who was swallowed by the whale? You read about that? The guy in, I think it's off of Massachusetts or somewhere, right? He was swallowed, I mean, not into his bowels, but into the mouth of a humpback. (laughs) He stayed there for 30 seconds. Well, so much for discounting the story of Jonah. Anyways, so the Bible gets ridiculed, especially the book of Genesis, because that's where we find the creation account. That's where we witness the first marriage between a man and a woman. Right? That's where we read about two genders and not a hundred in Genesis. Now, you know why Genesis always gets attacked? And that's where, in Genesis, male headship is confirmed. You remove male headship, you can remove everything else. Go ahead. I leave it up to you. You remove male headship from the book of Genesis, you can remove everything else. It was man that named the animals. Man was given the commandment in regards to the forbidden fruit. Man was given the task of taking care of the garden. Man leads. That's what we see in Genesis. Though both are created in God's image and both are equal, they are not the same. Male headship is clear before the fall. One led, the other supported the leadership. And you cannot get around it. There are differences in roles. But both need each other. Now, if I look at my life, for example, um, my wife felt very strongly that I was the leader when we first married, very, very strongly. She believed was, there was God and there was me. And uh, she always brings that to my attention. She reminds me of this. But then when she noticed I was making so many mistakes and making wrong decisions, <laughs> and uh, she goes, honey, I think you need me. Because... <laughs> Though we are in the role of leadership, we're not infallible. We're not, right? I mean, I, think, I don't think there's a man here that says he's infallible. But many men, what they do is they take, a, they take a back seat when it comes to leading, and that's wrong. That's only wrong. I had to learn to value my wife's opinion and wisdom, and I discovered in time that she makes far less mistakes than I do, right? Right? But I'm still the leader of the home. And elders are male. That's basically how it works. God did this. How am I doing? Second, 1 Corinthians 11 confirms male headship. 1 Corinthians 11, that's another text that um, I mentioned earlier on. The Church of Corinth was going through a, a unisex struggle. This concept of no gender or gender lines being blurred had found its way into the gathering of the saints. Male headship was being undermined. And it was with a symbol that they were undermining male headship. A symbol. Head coverings. And you can read the story, uh, the narrative rather, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read just one passage. Head coverings were commonplace in those days and they still are in some parts of the world, head coverings communicated male headship. It was a symbol that communicated that. And some women in the church, the Church of Corinth, had discovered a newfound freedom in the gospel message, and they went beyond what God's Word prescribed in regards to their role and entered an area that belonged only to male elders. Some women of Corinth felt that authority in the church was not only for the men. Headship was open to both male and female. Thus, they did away with the symbol that spoke of male headship, head covering. I'm not sure how many women did this. Maybe a few, maybe a whole bunch. Maybe all of them. We don't know. And Paul addresses this issue. Today, most people are against male headship. They say it's oppressive, misogynistic, And some Christians go as far as quoting Paul's words in Galatians 3.28. Here's the verse. We all know it. You've heard this verse many times, especially today by the people who embrace the LGBTQ agenda. They quote this verse over and over. Let's read it together. Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's what happens when we eisegete verse. Eisegesis, what is it? It's when we read our views into a passage. So please read the entire passage of Galatians chapter 3, in fact the entire book, and you'll see that the issue was not one of gender. Absolutely. That was not the topic. For the church of Galatia. It was for the church of Corinth. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 addresses, but not for the church of Galatia. The church of Galatia, Galatia had become Judaized. There were teachers who believed in the observance of the Mosaic law, Christians, and they would infiltrated the church, they started teaching the, the need for circumcision, the need for kosher diet, the need to keep Jewish holidays, and on and on it went. And the church of Galatia had fallen for this false teaching. And it was, so when you read, when you know this, the topic, the overarching theme of a book, then you could read the verse more accurately. I, I recall um, watching a discussion. There were those in favor of the LGBTQ philosophy and ideology, and there were those who were debating with them. And the ones who were debating were losing the ones who were in favor of the lgbtq agenda were winning they were very convincing by the way very convincing even those of late the whole thing has just fallen apart but here's what was interesting those on, on those who favored the lgbtq ideology were quoting galatians 328 it's really weird those who were against this whole ideology did not have a verse to stand on. said, so "What are you standing on?" They weren't afraid to quote a verse of the Bible." And they were saying, "There's no male or female. <laughs> There's no male or female. We have a whole bunch of genders." That's what they were saying. And they were using this verse to show that Paul was against binary. Gender. Talk about twisting scripture. Galatians 3.28 is simply about salvation. That's all. There is no Jew or Greek. The Jews do not get preferential treatment. They're not saved automatically because they're Jews. That's all it means. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no free or slave. There's no male or female. The males do not get preferential treatment when it comes to salvation The Jews don't get it, and the free don't get it either. That's that's all it meant. Nothing more. Instead, the LGBTQ has hijacked this verse and using it as their um, verse to stand on when it comes to pushing their agenda and their ideology. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based on Scripture alone, and to all, to the glory of God. So let's look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, at verse three. Verse three. I encourage you to read the entire chapter when on your own. But I want you to understand. I notice Paul is very clear on this: that Christ is the head of every man. Well, everyone says yes, Amen. I agree with that. Man is the head of a woman. Now oh, so we become quiet, except the children. They're not quiet. And God is the head of Christ. Being the head is not humiliating. Because if it was, it would be humiliating for Christ to be the head of man. And it would be humiliating for God to be the head of Christ. It's not humiliating. But we've made it humiliating. Because what we did is we took men throughout history who have been oppressive, bullies, tyrants... And we said, that's what male headship is all about. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. The quintessential man is Jesus Christ. He raised the level of woman, but he was the head. What we do is we take that which is aberrant in history, that which is off, that which is really oppressive, and we say, that's it. Men are the oppressors. That's what society does, by the way. Not we as a church. Uh, Men are the oppressors. And women are the oppressed. And they need to fight for their rights. And then we take this, this narrative and we push it to every sphere possible. That's the narrative that is being promoted today. Paul makes it very clear. No, no. Man is the head of woman, as Christ is the head of man, and as God is the head of Christ. That's the point. Paul addresses the subject of headship in that entire chapter. He does it elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 5, but here he makes it crystal clear. And again, if you want to know more about this passage, passage in particular, I encourage you to uh, go through my study of, he created a male and female and given in the summer of 2019. This is the principle that Paul brings forth. And as Christians, it is vitally important that we stick with the biblical view of headship. Men, you are called to lead. That's what you're called to do. You're called to lead. You need the Lord's grace, you need the support of your wife, if you are married. And as, as the church leaders, the elders, we are called to lead. We can't can't be above the church. We don't have authority in, in every area of life. We are to shepherd the flock, but we are called to be the elders. And for too long, men have abdicated and have chosen to coast. We've had godly women in this church, women that have picked up the slack and have served faithfully over the years. But we've had very few men, very few. That's not a good thing. And I'm not sure why that is so. I thank God for the godly women of this church and for the way they picked up the slack and for the way they served and they were just ready and they're still there. They're still willing, ready to serve. But three years ago, we made a decision. I'm going to say this and then close because I have a lot more to say. I won't finish it today. Three years ago, we made a decision because we saw there was a problem with the men of LCF. Um, there was this timidity you know, amongst the men. So most men just want to pull back and, and give opportunities to others. Whereas uh, they should be serving, they should be leading, they weren't. And Thankfully, the women who were at LCF um, kicked in. And I'm really grateful they did. But that meant we still had to deal with the problem. And we did. Three years ago, we started some mentorship programs on one level, we men just came together, and then at another level, the men were being trained to be leaders. And we're grateful to God for the results. We are. We're very grateful to God. Now we're starting our second, um, or a third, rather, mentorship group of men. And what we are trying to teach these men is that they are leaders. God has called men to lead. And male headship is biblical. Now, how that plays out in in the local setting, it's something that has to be discussed. But the woman and the men both have to believe in that, and they pray about it, and the Lord shows them how that fleshes out in the home. In the church, it's the same thing. There are churches where there are male elders that have been very uh, strict, have gone overboard with their um, directions, there are, but that's where the church kicks in at. The church has to remember that the elders are accountable to the church. So if the elders do go overboard, if a pastor does go overboard, it is the responsibility of the church to confront and to bring that to their attention. But just because we confront an error doesn't mean we dismiss the principle. We don't just throw it out. Principle is male eldership, male headship. For too long, men have abdicated and have chosen to coast. And what has happened is that there's a whole generation of children that are growing up not understanding what they're supposed to do, especially boys. I'm not sure if you heard of Jordan Peterson. I have followed with interest his uh, writings and um, some of his uh, video clips that uh, show Jordan Peterson. And what he's done He's basically touched a cord in the heart of every young man. He receives thousands of letters of young men who say, "I was considering suicide because I just didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know what it meant to be a man." Thousands. Because when you attack male headship, you're attacking a divine principle, and that leads to what we have now in the world. it's a mess. It's the church that needs to stand firm on this. And we need, yeah, it's, obviously it's not popular. Obviously we're going to be ridiculed. Then that's okay. I mean, they ridiculed Jesus. Why should we be afraid of ridicule? And Jordan Peterson speaks about the need for men to be men. To lead in the home and to lead in the church. And so on this Father's Day, that's what I'm bringing to your attention. I'm bringing to you the principle from God's Word. I haven't gone through, I think I went not, not even half of the message I prepared. I'm going to continue next week. But I want you to carefully consider what I said. Pray about it. And if you have concerns, write, send me an email. I'll answer. I'll take my time to answer. But this is where we as a church stand. Stand on the necessity of male elders and the necessity of male leadership in the home. And God gives us the grace to um, do that for his glory, for the good of the people of God and to the glory of his name. So the texts I'll be looking at next week and I might as well I'll give them to you. It's first is one in first Timothy chapter two verses twelve and thirteen. And then we're going to be looking at Revelations. And that text in Revelations will explain the title of the series. It's Revelations, and it's in chapter 3, or 2 rather, verses 18 to 29. So take the time to read that, and we'll uh, resume where we left off. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for how you teach us, for the men that you've given to this church. And I pray that each one of these men will grow to be the men that you have called them to be, the men that you have wired them to be. And that by your spirit, we'll go beyond that. I think of your wonderful, wonderful son who came as a man and lived in our midst as a man, the quintessential man, who knew how to lead and yet serve, who had authority and yet was meek. Lord, how can we become like him apart from you? How we need your grace as men. How dads need your grace. How husbands need your grace. We need it, Lord, to please you and to serve the way you want us to serve. Thank you for the words that we read in Scripture today. for they brought much joy to those who fear your name. We bless you and we praise you. In the precious name of Christ, I pray. Amen.